My guest today is Desmond Lockman, a resident fellow at AEI, where he studies the global macro economy. He has previously served as a managing director and chief emerging market strategist at Solomon Smith Barney and as a deputy director at the International Monetary Fund. He has written extensively on the global economic crisis, the U.S. housing market bust, the dollar, and the strains in the euro area. Desmond, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me back. Uh, before we sort of dig into the U.S. and world economy, uh, I want to ask you, there's been a lot of talk about a recession, and I'm, I often look at Wall Street research, what, what is the econ team at Goldman Sachs say, or J.P. Morgan? And I was wondering, sort of given sort of your past career at a big Wall Street firm, if you think there's a recession coming, what are the incentives to make that call, to be sort of first on the street to say, I think the U.S. economy is going into a recession, the global economy? Is that... Is that something you really think two, three, four times about before before making that sort of forecast public? Yeah, certainly if one were making that call on Wall Street, the whole idea would be to influence what people do in terms of their investment. If there's going to be a recession, then what we get is we get interest rates going to very much lower levels, so people would want to be buying bonds. We get the stock prices tend to come down because earnings of companies are rather poor. So one doesn't make the call of a recession lightly if you're sitting on Wall Street because that is going to affect... People will begin acting on that advice. Correct. That the whole idea of making the call and making it early is so that one can position oneself well in terms of the market to either be buying bonds or to be shorting equities or to be playing the currency market, it's a very fundamental call as to how markets are likely to move in the period going forward. People ask me, boy, when I hear somebody on uh, on television or I read uh, about a a market strategist or an economist at at a big firm, and they talk about, well, we think growth will slow sharply, they'll say, well, do they really mean a recession, but they just don't want to say a recession? Or or if they or do they sort of provide a lot of nuance before actually making a very stark call like that? Well, what's relevant today is not so much looking at what Wall Street analysts might be doing, but rather at looking what the bond market is telling you. The bond market is screaming very loudly that they expect that a recession is coming. So, so, so stock market versus that's that's been a, a conflict lately, where stocks seem to be giving a little more of an optimistic message. Totally, that you're totally correct. That we've got a very unusual situation here, in which the bond market is telling you one thing, and the stock market is telling you something quite differently. The fact that long-term interest rates are now well below where the Federal Reserve's rate is at the short end is indicating that the bond market thinks that we're going to go in recession, prices are going to come down, the Fed is going to be forced to reduce interest rates aggressively. So they are having a very gloomy outlook on what the world economy and what the U.S. economy looks like right now. I might add that in addition to the yield curve in the United States now being inverted, we've got a strange situation where as much as $16 trillion, and I repeat, $16 trillion of bonds globally, that's a third of the global bond market, now trades at negative interest rates. So for instance, in Germany, in order for you to lend to the government for 10 years, for that privilege, 
you have to actually pay the government something like half a percent a year for the next 10 years. So it's not a question. At that point, you're just looking for a, a safe place to put your money ra- rather than a return. You're return. either looking for a safe place to put your money or what you're betting is that the interest rates are going to go even more negative. So you'll get capital appreciation on those bonds. So the bond market is telling you one thing. They're telling you that both in the United States and globally, we're going to have not simply a recession, but likely a prolonged recession of a fairly severe type. Stock markets are telling you quite a different story. The fact that valuations today are at still at levels that we've only seen something like three times in the last 100 years, the stock market is telling you that things are going to be okay, that the gloomsters are wrong, that the sky is still blue, nothing is there on the horizon. So as an economist, I'm in a good position today in that I can tell you one thing with great degree of certainty about the financial markets. One of these markets is going to be proved correct, and one of these markets is going to be proved to be wrong. Both of them cannot be right about the outlook for the U.S. and global economies. Is there an explanation for this very extreme state in bond markets other than there is some sort of further worsening of the global economy ahead? I'm sure listeners have heard things about you know, that secular stagnation, perhaps there's sort of, we're sort of in this new economic era where rates are, there's like a, just an overall lack of demand in the economy and rates are going to just be low. Is there any other explanation uh, for the for the bond market being that other than that, that that's what that's what the message are telling us is that we're going to have a downturn? Oh, no, absolutely. The bond market is not behaving in a totally irrational way. They're basing their pricing and their decisions on how they see a number of issues evolving. And these issues are rather fundamental. They're rather big. The one is on the trade war that the United States is having with China. Bond market is now interpreting this as that is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. And if anything, that can worsen. So what we're seeing already is we're seeing a slowing in the Chinese economy. We're seeing Germany moving into economic recession. So the trade war is having a very big impact. Another very important consideration that the bond market has got is this whole issue with Brexit. So the bond market is thinking that now the chances of a hard Brexit are relatively high. If And that would occur as early as October the 31st this year. So if we do get a hard Brexit, what that would be doing is it would be sending a shock. We're talking now about something like the sixth largest economy in the world. The Bank of England is telling us that if the United Kingdom has a disorderly exit from Europe, has an exit without a a Brexit deal, the United Kingdom economy could decline by something like 5% over the next year or two. That would shock a European economy that is already very weak, and that could have ramifications abroad. Yet another consideration is what is the state of a number of emerging market economies. This morning, we've just learned that Argentina is requesting that they restructure something like $100 billion 
of debt that they've taken. So that is another indication that things are not well in a number of major economies. And we have, for instance, the International Monetary Fund in their latest assessment of the global economy, what they're talking about is the global economy having moved from a situation of synchronized global economic recovery in 2018 that we're now seeing a synchronized global slowing. The bond markets are saying that if you get the whole global economy slowing, the United States is bound to be impacted either through its inability to export as much as they would do before or else through the financial market channel, that if we're getting financial market dislocation abroad, that is bound to be impacting United States markets. So the bond market does have a lot to look on. One other point I'd mention, which makes one want to take the bond market seriously, is that six of the last six recessions have been predicted by the bond market. When the bond market has become inverted, the yield curve has become inverted like it is today, generally that has been followed by recession. How, how, how soon? Like within a year or so. All right. Okay. And, and, and what is the stock market missing? Where, 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 are the, where, where are these reasons for optimism they must be focused on? Uh, well, the stock market, one of the reasons that the stock... Or is merely the stock market a collection of you know, stories about stocks that are less detached from these macro factors? No, the stock market, what they could be thinking, and uh, that is legitimate, that has served them well in the past, is that the central banks are there to bail them out. So... We used to talk about a Greenspan put. We used to talk about a Bernanke put. Now we're talking about a Powell put, meaning that if the stock market falters at all, what we'll get is we'll get the Fed being a lot more aggressive. Giving food for that kind of thinking is what's already going on in Europe, that, for instance, at the last meeting of the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi indicated that the European Central Bank at its next meeting, which is going to be sometime in September, would almost certainly cut interest rates, would almost certainly revert again to quantitative easing, this whole bond buying program, and that is very market uh, friendly. So the stock market could be focusing on the what the Federal Reserve and what the other central banks of the world will do. And they're saying that that will more than outweigh any shock to the United States economy that might come from a trade war, that might come from a hard Brexit. Do you think there's too much confidence in the stock market in the ability of the Federal Reserve, given where interest rates are, and perhaps are reluctant to restart quantitative easing? Is there there too much confidence in sort of the ammo and firepower the Fed still has because that's all because that's all I've been hearing from some economists is that the fed the fed doesn't have the power it used to that that given given that that given inflation remaining persistently low and looking where interest rates are that maybe we're counting too much on the fed be, being able to have that put yeah but that's an argument one can make you know for instance you know one could make the argument that in the previous recession when the recession started the interest rates that the Fed had at that stage were something like 5%. So they had five full percentage points of interest rates 
to cut before they got to the zero bound. Similarly, you know, the bond levels were the interest rates on the bond market were very high, so there was a lot of room to bring them down to zero. This time round, we're starting the Fed rate right now is around about two and a quarter percent, means that there's relatively little room to go. So uh, it might be that the Fed is not as effective as it was uh, the last time around. What is of concern to me is not simply that stock market prices are at very high valuations, but it is that loans to risky borrowers have been made at very low interest rates. So what we've had is because we've had a period of prolonged period of very low interest rates and very easy money, borrowers who shouldn't have been in the market have actually borrowed at low interest rates. So Janet Yellen, for instance, right now is very concerned about the leveraged bond market in the United States, that this is lending to very risky borrowers, has now increased to as much as $1.3 trillion. And that has been done at very low interest rates without the usual covenants, without the usual protections for the lenders. So if things go wrong, we could have a lot of disruption in the financial market. So so the headline you don't want to see um, when you when you when you uh, look at the Financial Times in the morning, or Bloomberg, or turn on CNBC, the the kind of headlines you don't want to see, or the kind of headlines you would find worrisome, would be what? Oh, any of a number of things. Right now, for instance, I would not want to see that the trade war, the United States and China, is escalating, or that it's spreading. You know that we've got problems with Japan and Korea on the trade side. I wouldn't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see that the United Kingdom indeed is going to crash out of Europe without a deal. Things of that sort or that the Italian situation, uh, they've got a very delicate political situation. I wouldn't want to see that uh, deteriorating or I wouldn't want to see problems in emerging markets like Turkey, you know, that that's another country that is very heavily indebted, that the president of that country is running economic policies that seem to be totally inappropriate for their situation. I Both want... Italy and Turkey, much bigger economies than Greece. We, we worried so much about Greece. We were following that so intently for a while. Companies with uh, countries, bigger economies, and a lot more outstanding debt. Well, that's absolutely right. Turkey is not that big a problem. It's probably bigger than Greece, that they've got something like $300 billion of dollar-denominated debt that they could be defaulting on, that would be bigger than uh, the Greek default. The country that one really has to worry about long run is Italy, because that country is roughly 10 times the size of Greece. It's got its government bond market is the third largest government bond market in the world after the United States and Japan. So we're talking about two and a half trillion dollars of debt that potentially Italy could default on. If we did have an Italian default, that would be a major event. You know, that would be the European equivalent of a layman crisis that would affect their whole banking system. But hopefully we'll avoid that. Um, so uh, I'm not going to have you make a, a sort of recession forecast, 
But if we have a, a, a global downturn and we have a, a downturn in the United States, what will have ha- what like what are the sequence of events? What probably is going to be the scenario that will have caused that? Is it just sort of an all of the above? The economies already aren't that great, and then there's any one of these shocks, or what? I mean, what do you think that it'll end up looking at? I mean, we all tend to look at sort of the last recession and and sort of worry about those sequence of events. Obviously, this one will probably be different. So, what would that look like? How, how will we have gotten there? I would say that we've always got risks to the global economy. We've always got risks to the United States economy. What seems to me to be different this time around is that we've got a confluence of risks in very important large economies. So we're not talking about risk in a small country that won't have consequence for the global economy. We're talking about risks in places like Italy, the United Kingdom, China, Any of those risks, if they get triggered, they could trigger other risks. They could then create the financial conditions that will be very difficult for the other countries. So it's very difficult to predict what exactly is going to be the event that uh, triggers uh, this chain. So I would liken it to something like the First World War that you wouldn't have thought that the Archduke getting shot in Sarajevo would trigger... Sort of this daisy chain of events. It's a daisy chain. You know, we're talking about a structure that doesn't look that solid. So if we do get an escalation in the Chinese trade war, that could cloud the whole global economy, and that could very well uh, precipitate uh, the recession. That is why I'm concerned right now because it looks like positions are hardening. It looks like what the Chinese are doing is they're taking the view that they can take a lot more economic pain than the United States, that they don't really have an incentive to make all of the concessions that the United States are doing. On the other hand, President Trump looks like he is being boxed in by the 2020 election that he can't afford to give this issue to the Democrats. So the two sides don't have that much of an interest to reach a very fast agreement that neither of them wants to be seen to be backing down. That is why the situation looks fairly dangerous to me. Uh, I remember seeing a tweet or two earlier this year from the president where he seemed to suggest the trade war is actually helping the economy, that it was actually a driver of growth. I think the first quarter GDP growth was like about 3% or so. And he credited the trade war um, uh, with helping drive that growth. Uh, that does not seem necessarily to be the administration's current position where they view the trade war as a sort of a pro-growth factor. Uh, I believe a member of the administration was telling Republican donors, well, even if we have a recession, you know, it's probably just going to be a short uh, a, a quick one. Um, so one, do you think the trade war is a, is already a significant negative for American growth? And two, would you be so quick to hand wave away the possibility that, that, the, that if we have a recession, that it might not be a, a short, mild one like we saw, like, I think, in 2000? I, I would say, you know, in terms of uh, the uh, impact that the trade war is having on the economy, there's no question that what that trade war has done already is it has led to a synchronized global economic slowing. So the trade war, what it does is 
by slowing the Chinese economy, which is the second largest economy in the world, it slows exports of places like Japan or, more importantly, Germany, which is a highly export-dependent economy. It exports something like 50% of its product. It's no accident that Germany is now in recession because China is slowing. So the notion that the trade war is not having an impact on the global economy is just not consistent with what we're seeing happening in the global economy. My fear is that if we get an escalation in the trade war, much in the same way as tariffs have already caused the global economy to slow, if we get an increase in those tariffs, an increase in, say, a currency war or whatever, that's bound to have an even bigger impact going forward. So the notion that the trade war is not having a, an impact you know, is absolute nonsense, that it really is uh, impacting uh, people's living conditions globally. Now, in terms of the recession, uh, what is of concern is when you've got mispricing of credit and you've got stocks that are already very high, if you don't get the growth, then what you do is you get market repricing, you get people selling off all of these assets, and that then has an effect on the economy. So you then get into that downward spiral that then the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, have to come out and fight it. If, as we were saying before, they don't have that much ammunition, mm -hmm. this could be uh, a dangerous situation. That's why it seems to me that uh, President Trump is taking huge risks on the 2020 election You know, by having engaged in a, a trade war that he can't really get out of, that looks has got risks of escalating. You know, Hopefully, uh, the two sides, because both China and the United States lose, everybody loses by right. this trade war. Hopefully, they sit down at the table. But as I've indicated, you know, there are political considerations, sure. political dynamics that might make this difficult. How important, people will say, well, what, ca you know, what causes recessions? And you can, we can talk about interest rates or some other shock. How much is it really just sort of sentiment? What people believe about the future and that belief changes and becomes more negative. I mean, is that where it begins, or is there, or is, there, or is that just too simple a way of looking at it? No, sentiment is uh, very uh, important. You know that once you lose the confidence, you know then the whole house of cards comes down. You know, banks go bust. You know, get runs on banks. You know, people sell assets. That has uh, consequence, but generally something triggers it and what i'm saying is you know for instance like right now the fact that argentina defaulted on the debt that's too small argentina is a tiny economy you know mm -hmm. that that happens you know that uh, that's not a good thing but that's unlikely to be the trigger mm -hmm. what could be a trigger for instance like if we see october the 31st if boris johnson goes ahead and can't negotiate a revised deal and have the United Kingdom leave in a disorderly way, we'll see a huge sterling crisis, and that then has consequences. You know, so if we just walk that through, that what we'll see is sterling will go down, that'll take the euro down, the European Central Bank will cut interest rates, President Trump will then say, 
the Europeans are manipulating their currencies. He'll do something, you know, so we could get into a very yeah, bad Yes, the president seems dynamic. very sensitive to what other countries do, what other countries' central banks do, which he really views it in relationship to the United States and views it, well, you're, you're manipulating your markets to our disadvantage. We can't be suckers. By the way, Jay Paul, why, why aren't you coming to our aid? Correct. That That is really, you know, for instance, hopefully we won't see this scenario. But if on October 31st, the United Kingdom crashes out, it's very easy to predict that sterling will get hammered, the euro will get hammered, the European Central Bank will feel obliged to come in and open the spigots, right. and then Port Mr. Powell will be right <laughs> in the firing line. You know, why aren't right. you doing the same kind of thing? And, you know, we'll be talking about tariffs. We shouldn't forget that this is quite an important issue. This is quite an important risk that in addition to the trade war with China, uh, President Trump keeps talking about German and Japanese automobile exports to the United States. He feels that Germany is free-riding the system, and he's got authorization to impose a 25% tariff mm -hmm. on German automobiles. If President Trump did that on a weak German economy, then we'd really have a very big crisis in Europe, and Europe mm -hmm. is a very large economy. We're interlinked in so many different ways with the European economy, that would spread to us. Do you think the idea of a no-deal Brexit, a hard Brexit, do you think that continues to scare the British conservatives? Or do you think they have begun to buy sort of the idea that, you know, this was just a the whole, from the very beginning with Brexit, it's been a fear campaign that would have this, that it would have a terrible economic impact. Do you think do you think now that they still fear that or do they think, well, maybe we'll be okay and therefore it increases the likelihood of a no-deal departure? Well, one can't talk about the whole of the Conservative Party because they're different opinions. Mm -hmm. But the dominant opinion, which seems to be Mr. Johnson's opinion, is that people who say that a hard Brexit is going to damage the United Kingdom are fear-mongering. Right. And this is all Project Fear. We saw this right. in 2016. So they are prepared to jump. You know, they're, on, they're not joking that what Boris Johnson has made very clear is that on October 31st, the United Kingdom is going to leave Europe whether it's got a deal or whether it hasn't got a deal. That indicates to me that he is prepared to take that risk, that he thinks that if... The, Euro the United Kingdom leaves uh, Europe without a deal, uh, that won't be that serious a matter. That is not the view of the Bank of England. It's not the view of the International Monetary Fund. It's not the view of the OECD, mm. nor is it the view of the British business community, which are imploring him not <laughs> to take the UK without a deal, you know, because they're concerned that right. all of their supply chains are going to get disrupted, that the notion that a United States free trade deal could somehow save the day. Well, what we're talking about is half of the United Kingdom exports go to Europe. 
So if half go to Europe, they'd have to divert that to the United States. But a free trade deal, we all know that a free trade deal has to be approved by Congress, that the United States has got issues about agricultural exports, it's got issues about pharmaceuticals and so on. Trade deals are already very complicated. In the best of circumstances, we could see a trade deal on very favorable terms to the United Kingdom in two years' time. But what happens between now and two years' time to the United Kingdom economy. We also don't know what the political fallout of this is. If the Bank of England is right that after Brexit, the United Kingdom economy has a tough time, that could be ushering in Jeremy Corbyn, take us back to the failed policies of the 1970s. Uh, you know, this is a hard left program you know, which would nationalize industries or would do the whole works. So we really don't know. We've opened a Pandora's box that one really has to be very optimistic to say, oh, everything is going to turn out all right. This is going to be a great thing for the United Kingdom in the long right, run. Right. I don't really buy Buc that. Buccaneer Britain. Uh, well, I just want to uh, end here with uh, talking a bit more about China. There is some interest uh, in the administration elsewhere who believe China to be such a threat, um, not just economically, but politically, militarily, that we really need to sort of separate the American economy from the Chinese economy, that we've, these economies have become too enmeshed with supply chains, technology. Um, that seems like that would be a very difficult, disruptive thing to begin to treat China as if it is an an enemy and these economic links must be severed for national security reasons. How it seems to me, it seems to me that it would be highly disruptive. Would it be, or is that something that no, yes, a, a, a bit of a rough patch for for a while, but we everybody would be fine. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that you're really touching on something that is really very important, and that is makes me not optimistic that we're going to get an early deal. Is it seems that there's been a shift in the United States thinking about China that rather than seeing China as an ec economic partner that we can bring into our kind of system, we're now viewing China as a strategic threat. So we're not really wanting China to get away with this intellectual property theft. We don't want China to become a technological power. So we don't have that interest to get a trade deal uh, very quickly with them. That is probably the right view from a long-term point of view. But that, as you say, is going to come with huge costs because we're so interlinked with China in terms of trade patterns. And as I mentioned earlier, that if China fails, there are other countries, important countries, Japan, Germany that export heavily, the rest of Asia exports heavily to China. So what we get from China is we'd certainly go into a uh, global economic recession and that would uh, hurt us. So the question we've really got, it's a difficult question, is are we prepared to take all of that pain uh, in order to get a better relationship, you know, to strengthen ourselves strategically right. That is a really very difficult decision. And it seems that the administration is going in terms of let's be tough on China. You know, so that is a reason why I would expect that 2020 is not going to be that easy a year. And um, 
And the one, and the, well, well, we'll go back to the headline question. If there was a, uh, if there was a, a Financial Times headline that you woke up to see, um, what would be, what would be the headline that suddenly made you, oh, well, I think we're going to be okay after all. What would you, what would that headline look like? Well, if we really got a, uh, if we got a deal with China, mm-hmm. that would be something that would really uh, change my view. You know that I would mm-hmm. then uh, think that. The, chance of a recession in the United States in 2020 uh, would be hugely uh, minimized. You know, I'd also want to see, I'd also want to get past October 31st and see, and that's possible that what Boris Johnson is betting on is that deals in Europe are generally cut at the very last minute. So what he's counting on is that there's a very important European summit on October the 17th, he is counting on Europe folding that when they see that the United Kingdom is serious about uh, getting out of Europe one way or the other and that they prepared to go out without a deal, mm-hmm. Europe that's not in Europe's interest to have the United Kingdom crashing. So he thinks that at that time, the Europeans will make the concessions on this Irish border issue mm-hmm. that will allow him to present that to the United Kingdom population without fear of having Nigel Farage's Brexit mm-hmm. party cannibalize the uh, Tory party. Yeah, that would be a winning wager by the prime minister? Uh, I would say that this is like a 50-50 <laughs> kind of chance, you know, that it, it, nobody really knows right. how this is going to play out. In fact, the next week in... United Kingdom politics is going to be a very interesting week. This is the last chance of the Remainers and those who are uncomfortable of a hard Brexit on the Tory party. This is their last chance to bring down uh, this government mm-hmm. you know, before it's too late. Mm-hmm. My guest today has been Desmond Lachman. Desmond, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Mm-hmm.